you're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Rich Tommaso. Uh, his latest book is uh, She-Wolf from Image Comics. The first collection came out, I think, uh, before Christmas. I'm trying to remember when. So November. Like November. Uh, it was like third week of November, I think, yeah. As well as um, Dark Corridor, also from Image, uh, the collection that came out last year. Was it last year or the year before? It was the summer. Yeah, okay. it was last summer. Yeah. You're very prolific. Um, it has as... to be word image. <laughs> uh, and other releases include the Cavalier, uh, Mr. Thompson, uh, the Horror of Collier County, Let's Hit the Road, Pete and Miriam, uh, Cannibal Porn, the first comic of Riches from <laughs> Eros, uh, Clover Honey, which was uh, re. Uh, published by Alternative uh, a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, what else am I forgetting here? Perverso and Roller Coaster. Can't forget yeah. Roller Coaster. Your uh, one man anthology from the great days of mid 90s fanographics. Um, I think it's like everyone has their, like, at some point, their one man anthology at fanographics. Yeah, I'm definitely part of that generation that's right after Klaus, and I think there's so many of us that tried to do their own eight ball. It's like, <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the timing was not good with uh, <laughs> the uh, comics market pretty much falling into itself in 1994, 1995. Um, so a lot of folks at that time... Um, did not able to do it because the comic market was horrible to itself. Yeah, it's it was a hard story. time to come up too, you know, because I just I'd just been doing comics for like a couple of years, and a lot of people were just like a lot of again from my generation, mostly like my kind of age group, were all like dropping out, just kind of quitting doing comics. It's uh, it's kind of interesting looking through that because there's a lot of really amazing folks from that era but like i said yeah they just kind of disappeared um and just curious of what they would have done because even yourself um what you did in roller coaster is completely different uh from what you were doing five years later let alone what you're doing now Um, yeah there wasn't a chance to really find your voice at that point it was just like come on hurry up and get it down like start putting out really good stuff and i was still wanting to like experiment and play around with different um drawing styles and approaching different kinds of uh, short stories and didn't really have a chance to do that because at that point after the second roller coaster like 97 98 fanographics was urging a lot of their you know low-tier cartoonists low-selling cartoonists to um to just go back to the graphic novel format Mm mm-hmm yeah um and i wonder if part of that was like how many folks would invest their time into doing a graphic novel at that point yeah that's the thing it was i mean everyone everyone kind of had that that you grew up with comics i mean i mean even most of the stuff that was at fanographics was done in comic book form and then was collected you know a lot of those guys uh had a tough time um, eventually coming to that. Like, you know, as, as, as far, I, I think like 
Isn't Will, I think Wilson's like the first Dan Klaus book that's just, you know, a book right out front. Um, yeah, that and Death Ray. And I see Yeah, that's true. It's a little longer of a longer it's, of a story. it's the first like packaged hardcover graphic novel, but I think I like to think of like Ice Haven is probably his first like here's a book in itself. Yeah. Um, that's my thing. Um <laughs> now before we kinda get to that point, I I do want to talk about roller coaster because you're doing some neat stuff in there. Um a little bit kind of rewind a bit and um you went to Qbert for a brief period, the Qbert School in uh, it's it's in New Jersey, and you're from New Jersey. Yeah, um, it was like 15 minutes from my house, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that joy of like going away to college and leaving <laughs> home. Um, what? Because you you dropped out of there, and I'm curious about like kind of going in there and knowing the work you're making now, like. Were you kind of like, I'm going to go into a comic school, but just have no connection with what was happening? Yeah, I, I mean, this was 89, 90, so there was really no way to, like, find out, well, what paper, I mean, I guess you could go to conventions, but there was no real way to, like, know, like, what, you, you know, what tools do I use as far as paper and, and pens? I think, you know, I was drawing with, like, lapidographs, and so I, I knew that that school was, like, pretty much like a trade school where... You would you would learn a lot of technique and, and and so I said well I'll go there kind of learn what I need to learn and then just kind of you know self publish and strike out on my own so um, yeah I went there for yeah it was just that one year and then I dropped out and just started making mini comics but I had no idea what I was gonna do I, I was at that point I was just drawing like anthropomorphic characters I I didn't even draw like human characters or even think about doing any kind of stories um, based on my own life or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading stuff like Cerebus, Usagi Ojimbo, you know, I was reading, like, those Critters comics. I remember seeing, like, Love and Rockets, like, ads for it in my Critters and Threat comics that I was reading, <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, oh, that looks like a romance comic. <laughs> you know, just the way it was advertised, so... It, you know, not until the end of college did I did I find out like there was a friend of mine who had like this calendar. It's like one of those Love and Rockets calendars, and I was just like, just thought the artwork was so beautiful, and and he's uh, like, yeah, he's you know, the Hernandez brothers they do that Love and Rockets comic, and so I, I think I picked up uh, Death of Speedy, and that's where I started to think about you know doing real you know like s- stories, so something more interesting than just a fox flying through outer space <laughs> you know like i really had like i didn't when i was at the kubert school it, it it wasn't so much that i wanted to do um story like like um slice of life or autobiographical stories it was just that i wasn't inter- interested in superheroes you know mm-hmm. but i was still pretty much I, the stuff i was coming up with was just you know using my imagination just coming up with like um, sci-fi adventure kind of stories. Was there anyone at the school you were connecting with at all creatively? Well, my friend that uh, my friend uh, Eric Wald, who, who actually ended up doing one book for Eros Comics called "Girls Greed, Guns and Gore," um, he he was into like Love and Rockets and Crumb and, and that kind of stuff, and I had only heard about those things, but 
he kind of like opened that up to me like, oh yeah, you should read this stuff. And so that that's, you know, that kind of like pointed me in a direction of where I might want to go with, with writing. Is he the one in Let's Hit the Road that you travel with? Or yes. That... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's the... <laughs> other main character yeah um and so after kind of leaving there um is that that's when you moved to florida as per let's hit the road book or yeah my i think i I lived at home for like another year and just i would i would um do comics and then go to kinko's and print them up and then go into new york city and just kind of like sell them on commission to as many shops as I, as I could. Um, and then that, yeah, it was about a year after that, that I, that I moved to Florida and continued working on stuff down there. And, and I remember sending, I think the first thing I sent in, in like 91, I think was a, a, a horror comic to, um, monster comics trying to get published. And, uh, yeah, they, I remember they, um, they seemed interested at first, and then they were like, well, we're just going to stick with, like, licensed characters, like King Kong and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, I spent about four years just doing a bunch of mini-comics and just kind of, like, figuring out what it was I wanted to write about um, until I got published. So I, I made minis for for quite a while before I before I got anywhere. Um. So what was the the choice of just kind of abandoning all and going to Florida? Um, it was mostly like my parents were moving there. So I was oh, like, okay. well, where am I going to live? And I don't know if I can afford to live in New Jersey. I, I, my friend and I tried to actually, my parents were going to move there and they couldn't find, they couldn't sell their house in New Jersey. So they actually moved back. And my friend Eric and I tried to live um, there on our own and, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Because um, they, my parents, they're always, you know, they always choose like, quote unquote, nicest areas they can whenever they move somewhere. So they were in, they were trying to live in. We were living in Naples, which is really expensive place to live. So yeah, it was that that didn't work out so well. Not too good on my own at that age. I was like around uh, nineteen, twenty years old at that point. Now. When was it that Cannibal Porn came out? So that came out, uh, like I said, I probably spent, after college, after the first year of college, I probably spent like four, five years doing minis. And um, I moved back to New Jersey, um, and I was living with a bunch of, um, at that time, Qbert graduates in, the, in a house together. And okay. they were all published, and I was like, God, I want to. You know, I want to get published too. I've just been doing these minis and sending them out through the mail, and it'd be nice to be published and maybe get paid for this stuff. And uh, I remember I called Fanographics up and was asking like if I could send them some comics and just kind of introduce myself. And uh, Jeremy Pinkham was on the was on the line, and he at that point he was the um, editor at Eros, and he was like, "Yeah, you sent us this mini." called Cannibal Porn. We were thinking of publishing that. You know, it was just that simple. We are like, oh, oh, I forgot I even sent that to you guys. <laughs> I was just sending stuff out all the time and, you know, to anybody. And, and I just didn't even remember that I had sent them uh, a mini of that. Um, so, 
yeah, I think a week later I, I got a, he called me back and said, yeah, Gary's into it. So why don't you just go ahead and like, they wanted me to redraw the, the issue because at, at that time I was just doing these, um, straight to ink comics. I would just, I wouldn't pencil at all. I just start inking panels and just write the stories that went along, but I would do them straight to ink. So they're, they're kind of messy and they were like, could you like just redraw the book? And I was like, sure. So it was like a, I think it was like a 20 page mini comic. So, um, I started working on it and then I remember I got bored and called them and I was like, it's really boring for me to just redraw the story. Can I just do like a two issue story? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Sure. And then I remember I couldn't fit the story into two. So I called them again. I could have another issue. And they're like, yeah, but that's it. Like wrap it up at three. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Okay." laughs> I like the role that Eros played as like a clearinghouse for alternative folks to make a little bit of cash and a lot. Yeah, of I think the interest there was they they had been publishing mostly like straight porn comics, and the thing they liked about this was that it was like this kind of like um, retelling of a Dracula story in the '90s, and um, so it was this horror comic. But it just when it got to the sex scenes, I just I was explicit with it. Yeah. It wasn't a big part of it, but, but it was there. It was, you know, it was, it was and so they thought like, Oh, this is interesting. Cause it's not, it has sex in there, but there's a lot of story there as well. So they kind of gave me like a, I always, um, I always describe my time at Eros as like working for Roger Corman. Like when, um, certain directors like Martin Scorsese or people like that, they're one more ambitious kind of directors worked for Corman. He would tell them, okay, you know, do whatever you want with the story, but every 20 minutes or so we should have like a little leg or should have a little bit of nudity. (laughs) And I had that same deal where it was like, you know, you can do whatever you want with the comic with candle porn. Just make sure you have at least two pages in there of sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's so yeah. <laughs> Did you get much of reception from it when it came um, out? I did get a little from like other cartoonists, and um, I think after about a year or so, because I because I was I was working on that in New Jersey, and then my parents finally like sold their house and moved to Florida, and again I was uh, I was in a relationship and was kind of hard to like live in New Jersey. So we thought maybe we can, you know, maybe we can live with my parents and we can work there and save some money. And then maybe we can move to Seattle, you know, like maybe I can get a job at Fanagraphics. And, and, and so, so that, that's what we did. Like after about a, a year, about a year and a half of working for them, um, I moved out there. And when I moved out there, I was hearing like, Oh yeah, you know, like that cannibal porn comic was like one of the few that, the people in the office were actually reading. It was like one of the few Eros comics that people were following. Like, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, now, when you moved to Seattle, uh, you li- did you first live in Gary's basement, Gary Groth's basement? Yes, I was. Yeah, I was one of the. I was one of those people that roomed with him. Um, yeah, I worked on Clover Honey in Florida, and then right as I was wrapping that up. Um, things were getting like really tense because my like my girlfriend at the time was always like having arguments with my dad. It was just like not a good 
people were just not getting along. Yeah. So I was, um, she was able to transfer, like she actually worked at Kinko's and was able to transfer to a store out in Seattle. And then I just called and said, yeah, things are, things are getting bad over here. Is there any work for me? And, um, Al Columbia had just left town and he was a colorist there. So Gary was like, yeah, come out here and you can be a colorist for us. So yeah, we, Packed up and moved out there. So you replaced Al on the graveyard shift with uh, Jess Johnson. Yeah, yeah. We were the only two that would work like midnight to eight in the morning. Um, now, did you know of Jess's work before you had met? I did, because I, I was a big fan of the Dirty Plot and, and found out about his work through that because she would, she would always talk about how awesome his mini-comics were. So I did know I did know about him, and then I knew about that. I knew that Nurture of the Devil was about to. I remember seeing the ad for that in the comics journal that that was coming up, and so yeah, I did. I did know a little uh, about him before before we had met, but we got along together like pretty quickly. Yeah, and it, it, um, was that kind of one of the folks that you kind of the cartoonists that you hung out the most there? Because I know you like work together and stuff, and had a lifelong friendship together. I was yeah. Wondering about yeah. like that give and take creatively from a friend. Yeah, we were, we were, we listened to a lot of the same kind of music, um, Brian Eno, Cocteau Twins, like that kind of stuff. And, and just got along pretty quickly. So we, yeah, we would work together and hang out a lot. And uh, he was living with Tom Spurgeon at the time. And, and, uh, but yeah, G Gary would always joke about how we're always like, <laughs> always together or <laughs> coming into the office or just walking around town. It's like, unless you get married or something, always hanging out together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. <laughs> and I think we both kind of felt we, we, well, I know we both felt like outsiders there as well, because it was kind of a pretty tight knit group of cartoonists um, out in Seattle. And I think we both kind of felt like, I don't know if, I don't know if we really like fit in with everybody for whatever reason. Well, I think both of you coming later to Seattle, like I know I've heard from other folks that kind of had a challenge with the Seattle scene at mm -hmm. a certain point where it is, it, it was pretty cliquey. I think not so yeah. much now. Now it's just very different. Um, but I think at that point that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I remember like the first, I think, we moved out there in December, and I think that one of the first Fanographics parties we went to was uh, at Peter Bagg's house. And um, so my girlfriend and I had moved out there with Eric, uh, the Eric from Let's Hit the Road, because he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna try to get out there." And that's how he met. That's how he met Gary Groth, and Gary was like, "You should do a comic for Arrow," <laughs> you know. Um, but so we went to this party at Peter Bagg's house, and and just hung out for a little bit and then he was like well i gotta get home i got some work to do and he was like good luck sometimes these parties can kind of feel like you're in <laughs> you're trapped in a pit of vipers <laughs> <laughs> he, he described it that way and then left and then i kind of felt that at like about an hour later because it was just kind of weird like wasn't the warmest reception in the world i remember like peter bag introducing me to his wife in front of my friends as like, Hey honey, this is a guy who just moved out here. He's a pornographer. And like he introduced me that way. 
And I was just like, my, and I looked at my friends and they looked at me like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what was that? <laughs> no love for a fellow New, New Jerseyite? <laughs> Just, yeah, it was very strange. And I remember Jim Woodring asking me, oh, who are you? And oh, I'm a cartoonist just moved out here. Oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I just did this. Um, I just finished this graphic novel for Panagraphics called Clover Honey. It's like a crime graphic novel. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't I don't read that. I don't read crime <laughs> stuff. And then he just like, <laughs> that was just the end of that conversation. It was just kind of odd. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Should have asked him how his uh, Aliens comic was at that point. <laughs> um, I think it's like a when Gary Gary was very excited about Clover Honey. I think the whole time I, I remember the whole time I was there, he was always like, "When are you going to do another Clover Honey?" It, it kind of remained his favorite thing that I did there. Oh, really? And I did remember talking to him on the phone a lot when I was working on the book in Florida. I would talk about like, oh. I hope uh, I hope it gets good reception. Uh, what people are going to think, and he's like, "Oh, don't worry about that. It's a it's a great book. I've been showing it around. I've been showing it to lots of cartoonists here." And and I think like there is kind of a jealousy when there's like a new cartoonist that Gary is kind of like, "Oh, this I got this new guy and look at this book. It's pretty cool." And I think there's like a little bit of a jealousy there. Yeah, weird territorial. Uh, only thing I could think of. <laughs> As to why I had these very odd conversations. How long did you work at Fanta for? Um, so I was there from about 93 to 98. And yeah, about just like five years, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, not, not very long. I did the three issues of Cannibal Porn. No, but uh, I mean like working in the office. Oh, working in the office is... Um, so I moved out there in 95 and then I worked there too. I only worked there like a couple of years because the, the pay was pretty low. Like I remember saying, I remember telling Gary like, yeah, I'm going to have to get this job at this pizza restaurant. Cause I can't like, I'm never, we're never going to be able to afford an apartment if I, if I keep working there as colorist. So yeah, I wasn't there as, as a, as a colorist very long mm-hmm. in the beginning. Did you find after um, leaving there um, creatively not being so immersed in comics all the time, but like having the job and then working on your stuff, like was there a difference in how you approached your work? Not until I actually left Seattle because there were so many cartoonists there that even when I wasn't working at the office, I would always bump into somebody you know, in town. And, you know, of course the first question is, so what are you working on? Or if they knew what I was working on, like, how's that going? So it was, it, um, I feel like I was able to kind of open up a little more creatively once I moved to Atlanta. Cause I didn't feel like there was such a, I didn't feel like there were people almost looking over my shoulder at what I was doing, you know? So, it, you know, again, like I didn't really, I probably saw people just as much, um, when I, when I, um, when I didn't work in the office just cause there were so many people around town. Yeah. Um, so why Atlanta? Um, my whole family had moved out here one by one. My sister had moved down here from, from Pennsylvania for work. And then my parents had retired. Like I said, they, they'd retired to Naples, um, in the mid nineties, but it was a really long drive to visit their visit my sister and, and um, my nephew so they ended up 
moving here as well. So I thought, well, everybody's out in Atlanta. And and Jess was here too. And so like, well, Jess, Jess lives out there, so I should just move to Atlanta. So it just felt natural. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everybody I wanted to be around was, was out here. So makes sense. One thing I was thinking about reading your work is um, kind of how Italian families are a part of a lot of your comics. Uh, and, and I'm curious about how your own family relationship kind of works into that creatively. Yeah, I, I dip in and out of that uh, um, when I feel like it, there's like a benefit story-wise from, from that. It, it's odd. I, I, I Sometimes I kind of shy away from it. Um, but I feel like the the thing that I'm working on now, She Wolf probably has, even though it's like this fantasy werewolf comic. I feel like um, the most stuff about growing up in that, in like a Italian family, has been put into that comic. Yeah. Um, even though it's not, you know, a realistic or, or <laughs> a comic, it still makes those things make their way in there because it's because it's perfectly placed in a story where where werewolves are, are those creatures that like pretty much every werewolf movie they feel guilty about their curse you know about turning into these monsters like the one monster that feels bad about it and catholic guilt just works you know perfectly with that was religion a part of your childhood um a little bit it's it's strange my parents are very blue collar they they you know they had a bunch of different like um pizza restaurants over, over the years and and so I think they were just like, after a while they could tell, like we used to go to, I used to go to like Sunday school and we would go to church every Sunday. And I think at a certain point they just got too busy and noticed that we just weren't that interested anymore. And so they just stopped, you know, they just stopped going all together. It was kind of hard to wrangle us on some of those Sundays into the car. And so that, yeah, it was weird the way it just kind of dropped off. Now, um, we kind of glossed over roller coaster, and, and I want to kind of rewind to that. Um, and I know this is something like very few readers will probably see because I can't imagine it's the easiest to come by comic at this point. Yeah, it's pretty hard to get a, a copy of. I only have the first one. I don't even have the second one. Oh. Um, but uh, uh, one thing that really I found really interesting about it is partway through the story you do a complete switch in style in storytelling style and also like artistic style and i find in most of your work you, you stay pretty consistent stylistically but this one i was really fascinated by it because it was such like a dramatic shift a very purposeful shift and i'm wondering like at that time when you're working on it um kind of what was going on as far as like artistically like were you wanting to take yourself in a different direction yeah i wanted to try different things um i i really gotten into crumb uh, more than i had um before that uh and was just reading a lot of his stuff and i just really enjoyed i, I the graphic novel thing like the, the clover honey was such a chore to to work on i was working on like seven days a week like 14 hours a day i was like working early in the morning and it was just so it was so much work to do in one piece like that as my second published project. So I just really loved the freedom of, of seeing like a lot of those early Chrome comics and that he would just always have a, like a different title and he would just do 
he, you know, he would just do these one shots. And I thought, well, why don't I play around and, and like maybe do some cross hatching, try different like drawing techniques and, and try doing stories like with, you know, um, without words and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to have the freedom of, uh, to just kind of play around and experiment a little bit and, and work on like shorter projects and, um, but yeah, it was so short lived because of like you were saying earlier, the, the the way the industry was going, it was just, yeah, that kind of project. If it didn't already have an audience, it was, you know, wasn't really commercially viable to, to do something like that. And it, it seems to me, I don't know, like your your strengths do lie in your storytelling. So I think like longer work benefits you. Like you have that space to breathe and kind of let the stories go. That one, like I really like that roller coaster, but I also think like um, if you continued on a road of like the one man anthology, I don't know if it would have been as beneficial creatively. Yeah, it's hard because I. The one struggle I did have with that was I don't get as excited over something that's short. It's hard to get, like, because I'm a big, like, you know, from a very little kid, I've always been into film. And, and so, like, it's more exciting when you have, like, this big, long story and you can see the beginning, middle, and end. And, you know, you start thinking about how you're going to package the whole book. And it's so it's it, it's just more exciting. And it's it was always hard for me to get excited over like, okay, this I'm going to do the six page story about uh, my family or something. It was hard to get really excited over a project like that. So it was, yeah, it's like I could, it was easier to handle short stories. But then again, I, you know, the enthusiasm wasn't really there. Um, but graphic novels are really hard to put out in one chunk. I feel like what yeah. I'm doing now, works so well because it it forces me to write in a way where i where i can chapter things in, in little 20 to 24 page pockets and um i don't i do when i work on graphic novels sometimes where you know in one whole piece like that i do tend to wander away a little too too much and because i know there's like an endless amount of pages there <laughs> so i i tend i tend to go like sometimes too far away from from the story's plot or, or main thrust um, sometimes, and then I then I get st then I start getting burnt out on the project, and yeah, and, and like Cavalier Mr. Thompson is a good example of that where I spent a little too much time on these like little anecdotal, um, the side stories, side stories in it, and and just you know I didn't get to do that book to it to its in the fullest form like i, I had a, a an actual thin like a the book kind of stops it doesn't really have a an ending to things just kind of like stops and i feel like the story i had in mind i couldn't get to because i would have had to continue drawing like at least another hundred pages to get to this real full story that i had in mind and and i just got so burnt out on it i was like i'm just gonna stop here and then maybe you know, and then I'll just do a second volume at some point. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't. When I'm working on it in pieces, I think getting maybe getting away from the story and and kind of keeping in mind, I think like an issue should have some kind of closure to it, even though it's even though it's part of a series or, or a mini series. That you know, each issue should have something like that, and it helps me to to um, to learn to figure out what's really important there. Mm -hmm. and, and not go too far in one, one direction or, or the other with like um, asides. Um, 
Now let's hit the road. Uh, we talked a bit about clover hunting, working on that, and um, so let's hit the road. Did you, you were still in Seattle when you were working on that? Yeah. Yep. I was still in Seattle, and I, I, I think at that point I was trying. I, I was. I would hand in ten pages of that a week and, and get a little bit of money, so oh, that okay. I could the ball rolling on that and not have to work so much um, doing the restaurant job. So. Yeah, and that was something where I wanted to try comedy, and I wanted to, I wanted to work. I thought if I focus a little bit more on dialogue and, and storytelling, and less on the art, that maybe would help my writing. Because I felt at that point, I felt like visually I was happy with the stuff that I had done, but I felt like the writing was really being left behind, or there wasn't as much attention on it. And I thought maybe it's because I'm just spending so much time and effort on the art. So I thought maybe if I draw simple and kind of, I can focus more on, on like, um, spend more time on dialogue and, and writing. So, and, and I thought the easiest project is I'll do this story and try to tell it as, as clearly as I can remember it, just like a straight autobio mm-hmm. storyline. So. And that was kind of your big move with a friend from New Jersey. Yeah to florida and then back to the road trip back and forth yeah trying to uh trying to get jobs as artists and having to get restaurant jobs because that wasn't working out i love reading it being like oh to be that young again (laughs) yeah just throw caution to the wind move move wherever on a moment's notice just pick up and move away oh the luxuries (laughs) Yeah, I tried to make it as, as accurate to my memory as possible. I was like, yeah, I try to do something that's as, as close to as I remember as possible and try to fictionalize as little as I, as I can. So I remember I asked my friend Eric to write a forward, and he's like, I don't know what to write. Like, he pretty much put everything in there. I don't know. <laughs> so it was accurate to his recollection as well. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the horror of Collier County... Um, I think that was your next big thing. Yeah. Um, which you did for Dark Horse. And stylistically, it's a big jump from your other stuff. Um, working with an editor on that, did they kind of have like something in mind in particular, or did you have a fair amount of leeway? I, she, uh, Diana Schutz pretty much gave me, you know, full reign on whatever I wanted to do. I remember discussing like, project with her like because it took a long time to get approved um Mm -hmm. over dark horse and like i didn't think it was going to happen at first because i think like it was six or eight months that i waited for that okay to actually work on that and i remember asking her like oh was it the story or was it this and she was like no it, it was you know it was all like financial stuff you know it was all like well that's too much money to pay like it was that kind of thing that was that was kind of slowing down the the decision she was like as far as the the work you could have done whatever you wanted to so i was like oh okay well, that's cool that's good to know I, i've been pretty lucky with that um almost everywhere that i've worked where where people they, they they know my previous work so if i do get an opportunity at a publishing house they'll just say yeah just do whatever you want <laughs> so I'm, yeah pretty fortunate with that um now that book um is that your thoughts on Florida? 
the horse. Yeah, I, I remember by the time I did it, I, I kind of felt like, oh, this is kind of silly now to me, but it's still a cool idea. It was basically like a reverse Rosemary's Baby in my mind where, you know, there's there, Naples is kind of filled with a lot of religious people. And, and, and I remember getting just like a lot of dirty looks, you know, just being this like long haired guy listening to punk and industrial music and you know it's just an odd place to be if if that's what you know if that's what you you've got a lot of like dirty looks from people so so i remember thinking like yeah it'd be funny it'd be fun and funny to do a uh, a, a kind of reverse rosemary's baby <laughs> and i remember I, I would always think about it yeah and so i thought yeah this would be a, a cool I, I wanted to do some kind of like slow descent into uh paranoia madness like a very much like a polanski story so well let's talk about polanski because you referenced him a bunch in different works and then just referenced him now um, yeah and I, and I get the feeling that film is really important to you oh yeah yeah i i yeah i was looking at i, I remember watching all of his movies while i was working on that collier county because i, I kind of had that same paranoia about people so Whenever I see movies like Repulsion or, or Rosemary's Baby, I kind of like I'm like with there with the people that are <laughs> freaking out, and, and I just love the idea of that kind of horror very much. This, the same way I, I really love um, Charles Burns, that kind of psychological horror is always more interesting to me. Um, have you always been so into movies? Um, has it been like kind of a constant thing, like comics and movies? Yeah, and that comes from my 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 brother. Uh, so I had an older brother who was um, five years older than me, and he he was really into into film. So so at a really young age, like seven eight years old, I was like watching Woody Allen movies and Kubrick. And probably shouldn't have been watching Kubrick movies, <laughs> some of those. But yeah, I remember getting really into it because because he was really into it as well. So we you know we would like we were the we would cut out like movie ads in the newspaper and put them in this little scrapbook. <laughs> so yeah, always uh, really been into it. Is uh, Pete and Miriam? It's a big part of that book too. And uh, also remember, a lot of movie stuff is really important in your uh, the autobio thing about your time at Fanographics, your time in Seattle. Oh yeah, yeah that stuff. Like, had you ever considered film studies or anything, or is it just kind of more of a fleeting interest? I think I was just naturally, I, I was always in love with making comics, so that never changed. And I remember I did think about things like, oh, maybe Collier, before I did Collier County, I thought maybe that would be good as a movie. And I got this book, I remember reading this book about how to make movies on the cheap and trying to plan out this trip of like, well, if I go out east, I've got friends up here and down here. I was kind of like trying to plan this whole thing out, but I think it just sounded, I was, I didn't know enough on the technical side. I think it was just like this fun little daydream for a while. And I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just do a comic of this. So I feel like I can still, comics is still young enough that I can do things, um, in, in my own way, I have a better chance of doing things in my own way and having kind of my own voice than I would with film that's been around for so long. Mm -hmm. I'm always curious about how that plays in creative folks in comics because some there's that itch to do movies or that like want 
that's like you can tell there's like not a complete comfort with comics it's more of a bridge to somewhere else but for you it seems like it's an interest but the comics are really your end product yeah yeah i I think the thing i really love about movies too is just when i'm passively watching something and and like one scene will give me an idea for a story that has like nothing like almost nothing to do with the movie that i'm watching but it just comes from you know it'll just be something someone says or just one little scene and i'll be like oh that'll spark a whole story and um because i remember when i did cannibal porn they were like where did you get this idea for this story it's really cool and when they read the mini comic, I said, "Oh, I, I was watching um, my own private Idaho." <laughs> that just didn't make any sense. They were like, "What?" And I'm like, "But that's that's kind of where this sprung from, you know. And it really has nothing to do with that movie, but there was something in that movie, uh, some moment that kind of sparked this whole idea. So, um, yeah, that that's that's always great when when stuff like that happens. You just come up with an entire story idea. I like that. <laughs> Um, do you find that you're able to stick with a style for a while or do you kind of want to move and try out different things? I'm curious about that process in you. Like, yeah, I do get, I get tired of drawing, um, similar, you know, I do, I do get tired of, of using the same, um, I mean, right now I pretty much use the same tools I've been using for the past five years, which is, um, a little bit of pen and ink, but mostly I use, um, these pit pens to draw with. Um, but I do, yeah, I kind of jump back and forth because um, I'll get tired of drawing one way and, and I'll have to come up with some some scheme to uh, use um, different materials or, or just draw at a different size and, and using brush. I, I remember that's what I did with, uh, with Dark Quarter when I had those two stories. I was like, this will be good because I can draw kind of in my pen and ink style with the main story, but then I can do these backups with larger and using brush and just doing a little bit more uh like dynamic artwork just to to, to break the uh break the tedium of it i do get bored with yeah approaching things in the same way how does sketchbooking kind of play in that role wow i haven't kept a sketchbook in a while i okay. used to i used to fill them yeah when i was younger and and it would come up i would put a lot of story ideas and character ideas in there and, and do a lot of life drawing. But I feel like I've been so busy the past, these, especially the past two years that, yeah, I hardly have any, any time to do that. I'm like always working on the comic stuff. I get a feeling, especially in the last like five, six years, you're really just pushing yourself to draw as much as you can and get as much out creatively as you can. Yeah. And it's something that I, always wanted to do i remember like way too early like two years working in fantagraphics thinking like yeah it'd be awesome to do like two or three comics at the same time and it was just way too ambitious for for someone still like looking for their voice and still trying things out and and but now i feel like i'm at the uh i feel like i've just reached this level where i can handle doing um more than just more than just one book a year or, or just one thing at a time and it's just taken a lot. I've, I've always wanted to do that. I've made a lot of attempts over the years, but um, the, when I started doing the self-published um, bi-monthly uh, recoil comics, that's when I started to realize, oh, I can, you know, I can handle doing more than just one story at a time. I was always curious, like, because I remember when you had the website up, 
and there was just all these different comics you had going. And I was like, how can you... How is this sustainable? <laughs> I don't know how I did that either, because I was still working in restaurants at that point, too. Like, I was still... Like, in Atlanta, I was still working in, in, in restaurants, so I would have to, like, draw as soon as I got home and scan the page. I'm, I'm, I think I would color them in the, the next morning, like right before going to work. So yeah, I, I do not know how I was, how I was doing that. Just a few, I guess that was about like maybe four or five years ago. I'm not sure how yeah. all that work, but the recoil thing was fun because I, cause I was able to, to and, and doing the website comics was fun because each day I would, I, I would get to work on something completely different. So that I think I was, if I was working on the same thing, there might've been, a lot of weeks where <laughs> nothing went up that week. Yeah. Um, so was it the recoil stuff? Was that what got you your foot in the door at Image? Yeah. Um, I owe uh, everything to Joe Keating as far as getting into Image. Uh, he was picking up my minis out, out in Portland and just emailed me. Um, I think that, that first year I was doing them, he emailed me and was like, you know, these comics are really cool. You, you know, would you ever think about working for Image? And I'm like, sure, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> so he, you know, he set up like an email meeting between me and, and Eric, and and then I sent him all the mini comics that I'd published it to that point. And so, yeah, that's pr- pretty much what I was hoping. Like, of course, my, you know, my first thought doing um, when I started self-publishing was, well, maybe this can self, maybe this can sustain itself somehow. You know, these comics will, will sell well, or it, it could lead to me getting work maybe at uh, Image or Marvel or something like that. Like the, those are the two thoughts uh, that kind of went into doing that. So, But this was a lot less work than uh, being an Image. It's kind of a unique place to be because you have such complete creative control over your work. Yeah, which is again, I I, I didn't uh, expect that. Uh, you know, I, I remember pitching different um, title ideas. Like I went through so many different title ideas for before I uh, before I settled on Dark Corridor, and I kept pitching like different stories that that I could do. And and I, again, I think it was like six months that I, Eric and I kind of went back trying to figure out what I was going to do over there, and. Um, at the end of it, I just found out that really he just wanted to know, like, you know, what's what's the title going to be? How many pages is it going to be? Like, it was very simple, like, logistical things. Because I remember finally being like, you know what, forget trying to squeeze. Because the idea at first was to do it as, like, a, a one-man anthology. And that maybe it would be, like, a, a bi-monthly, like, 50-page book. And I would try to put as much, like, of my recoil stuff in there. And... Um, Joe had Joe Keaton after so many months kind of came into the conversation was like, well, you know, I don't think it should be filled with stuff. He's already previously published, you know, maybe those should be backups, you know, and and have something new at the forefront. And that's when I decided, yeah, I should, I have these two scripts that I've always been wanting to get to. So maybe that should be like, I kind of felt better about that because every time I do, something like every time I do go to a new publisher or start a new venture, I always want to do like new work Mm -hmm. um, for that. So, so I remember finally saying, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to do this story. And it's called 
red circle and then the, the backups will be and and eric uh, had sent me an email back like saying like i don't care like you can do whatever you want i just want to know like <laughs> it was gonna be a monthly how many pages is this i was like oh i don't i could have like decided that long before oh, that's so yeah it was a slow process of just trying to figure out what exactly i was gonna do over there as, as far as the format but it's very different um than working at any other publisher, I think. Yeah, I was very surprised at because um, I, I was there were a lot of things. My only experience with a big with a big like a larger publisher really was was working at uh, Dark Horse. So there were a lot of things that were very different from from how uh, things work over at Dark Horse, and, and I was you know really happy about that. I remember thinking like, oh, I was like worried the first year like getting fired because my numbers weren't high enough. And I remember a friend of mine, cause I didn't really know how the deal worked over there between the artists and the publisher. And so the and a friend of mine was like, well, you know, if you would, if you, you know, you, they wouldn't really fire you. You'd probably fire yourself because if the book isn't making any money or you're losing money, then it's kind of up to the artist to be like, well, I don't know if I should keep doing this, you know? Yeah. So, Oh yeah, that's a, that's right. I kind of, forgot that that's how it works over there so um yeah that just it, it takes a lot of the pressure off because i remember when i was at dark horse you know it was numbers was a big deal like you could get something canceled um for having um low numbers so i remember being afraid that uh, i wouldn't even finish her of color county when i was over there unless the unless the numbers were pretty high so it's good to not to just kind of um, be in charge of that yourself to kind of make that call yourself like, well, I'm making, you know, the, the book is still doing fairly well I'm making, you know, pretty good money. So I, you know, continue to work on this. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of pressure off of, off of you when you're working on stuff and you want to see something to its completion. When you worked on Satchel Page, were you not involved in any of the kind of book publishing end of it? Like no, with oh, yeah. the publishers. No, not yeah, not really. I just kind of I think at that point he had already showed like he had already sent them the script and showed them thumbnails of the book. So I was just kind of brought in to, to just to just uh draw the pages. But I was I didn't know that the book was because they kept saying like, Okay, we gotta get this done soon and it seemed like a lot of like pressure as, as far as like getting the book done um in a, in a short amount of time and i i realized later that um james term had written the script like seven times over a year and so the book was late when i came in on it like it had to be done like in a, like i was just working every single day on that thing like all i did was work well, all i did was draw in a room when i worked on that book and and like, yeah, like found out later that I'm like, oh, the reason why the deadline is so close is because this book is like, is, is already late. So, <laughs> How long were you in Vermont for? I was there for uh, the first two years that the, that the CCS school was up and running. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Did you go to any of the, the Bissette comics history classes or anything? I did. I yeah. I did sit in on on some classes, and then there were um, 
visiting artists that um, sometimes would come and speak. Or, and then there was a, a there was like a lab for people to work at in the in the basement of the school, and, and so there were a lot of like presentations and um, different. Um, workshops going on down there that I could like sit in on while I was like coloring stuff in the lab. So, and I did, I did a little bit of teaching, not, not, not much came in. I, the, the most I did there was I did a, a week long, um, um, workshop with, uh, Steve Bissette on lettering. So, okay. yeah. And I thought, Oh no, this students are just not going to be into this. Like, <laughs> Get out your aims guide and draw these lines. But they actually, uh, they actually really appreciated it because there were a lot of people that weren't happy with their lettering. So we kind of gave them a bunch of different options on how to approach that. Well, and you and Bissette are very different uh, artists as far yeah. as lettering too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought of so many things I, I, that didn't even occur to me. He's he's pretty amazing. Like he just thought of so many different other things that uh, had to do with lettering uh, that he brought to it. He's very expressive, but you're very like specific and clean. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, being in Vermont, um, how was that experience creatively? Like being in this kind of town where you just you just work because there's really nothing happening there except for the comic school. It, well, it made it possible for me to do things like Cavalier Mr. Thompson a little easier than if I had approached uh, doing a big book like that before, because all, yeah, all I did was, uh, you know, most of my days were just working on this book and, and having to, and I had never done any, um, I had never done a period piece before. So, oh, okay. That kind of showed me, like, oh yeah, I can do this. Like, I'm good at like um, researching and, and and you know finding the appropriate materials for stuff. It was yeah, I'd never, I always wanted to do something like that, but it, it always seemed I was always intimidated by doing anything um, set in a different time period. And that kind of showed me that I that I was able to do that. You know, um, it was a one. I think it was probably because Collier County, I was able to work on that without having another job and that was really important because I, I do I do I have I really have to concentrate when I work on this stuff like it's it's even hard for me to have much of a social life when I'm working on on comics um, usually like I'll, I'll, I'll have like a five-day week and like on the weekends I'll, I'll tend to go out more and, and, and socialize but I can't really do that like during the week when I know I'm going to be drawing every day, it just, it just takes me out of it too much. So, um, the other thing about Satchel Page was, was the second time I was able to solely just focus on working on, on comics. So I think that really, without any interruptions, it, it really showed me that, yeah, you know, like doing something set in a different time period is, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's easy. You just have to look up the reference and it just gave me, I was able to concentrate on it without having to have any other kind of work uh, interrupting. Was that the only time you've worked with a writer? Um, yeah, yeah. That's the only project that wasn't a hundred percent mine. I'm wondering yeah. how that affects your own writing. Does it? Not much that, cause I think, 
even though I was, even though I knew the story, I didn't really look at the script very much because he had, you know, James had also done the the thumbnails, you know, over and over again, like until he had them just right. I think there were maybe a few changes that I suggested and made while working on the book, but I pretty much followed those thumbnails. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was just just drawing and and getting, like I said, getting the right to the right um, appropriate research in place. Um, so did the, did you live in the hotel there? Is that kind of what? Yeah, uh... I lived in a scary hotel. Yeah. I lived in the, um, in the hostel wing of that hotel and, uh, yeah, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty depressing at first. Cause it was just this one little room. It was just a bed and a sink and, I had my drawing table and like one little bookshelf and that was that was basically my room um the first year that I was there and then I moved in with um that first summer I moved in with some of the students at, at one house and then moved into a different apartment uh, in the second year but yeah that first year I was that first winter I was in the this really cold creaky hotel <laughs> they had the light switch for the heat in that place I mean it was a pretty huge uh, i don't know if you've been there it's a pretty big hotel mm-hmm. and they have this like light switch where they turn the heat on for like 15 minutes and then like turn it off again there were only like a few times throughout the day that they would do that what and i'm like that that's not <laughs> that doesn't work because they would put plastic over the windows to keep the cold out and they just thought oh yeah if you heat it up every once in a while it should be fine that's horrible that doesn't really work very well. It was a really old hotel. I remember waking up one day and it was like raining over the doorway. And like it was raining over my door in my room. And all this like sludge was getting all over my clothes. And I had to like hop out and be like, yeah, there's you got a problem on the roof there. <laughs> that was that was kind of a breaking point. Yeah, I was like, I got to figure something out. This is because I, I think like they're you know their repair for that was they just had some guy go up there with some tar and like just mop some tar around on the roof and like yeah, that's not really gonna fix it. <laughs> so was that a, was that kind of the uh the influence on on mr thompson a little bit yeah because i actually did some I actually like uh towards the end of satchel page i did work there occasionally like as a as a i worked the like night shift at the front desk Oh, okay. So yeah, there was a little bit of a little bit of that. Um, again, that whole idea though sprung from going to going to see Gosford Park in the theater, and um, for some reason, I really love Richard E. Grant, that actor, and, and he's he's a kind of an interesting, like smarmy kind of character in that movie. And I remember thinking like that kind of like where that sprung. That's where that sprung from. Like, wouldn't that be great if he was like a you know, front desk clerk at some hotel like that would be a really cool comic so uh that whole story just sprung from this one character in that movie that i liked nice um do you want to do more with the sam hill character you have one story yeah i know in his life and i started another i started another yeah book but never finished it and i feel like i've put i've just started so many things now know how to finish them all i someday i would like to get back to him um yeah i I would like to get back to that to that story at some point um 
I had like 12 different books like planned for this guy. I'd made like this whole like history line for him and just things that would happen to him at different points in, in history and like figured out when he died and like that certain time in his life he, he would like quit uh, working as a detective and become like a private detective and go through a divorce and there were stories about him and his estranged son. Like I had all these like timelines figured out for him, but um, only got to a couple of them so far. Does he make a cameo in Dark Corridor? Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's him at the in, in the last uh, issue. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Yeah, that unfortunately that was that that book because I put so many issues out at at once. Like I put six issues out at for the first um, story arc because there were so many characters and so much setup to do. So the the numbers dry. I didn't get to that trade early enough. You know, the the deal there is like best thing to do is put out as few issues as you know, like four to five issues, and then put out a trade, and you get more of an audience that way. And so it didn't really get a chance to to find that that trade audience. And so I had to wrap the story up. In uh, I was going to do a second series, and I remember being really worried about it because the the numbers like. Issue from issue one to six, the um, the six issue sold like ten times less than the first issue. It was that sharp yeah. of a drop, and so I I was like, well, what do I do? And and Eric said, you know, just just finish your story, and then you can do something new. You know, do something else. And so I came up with. I remember looking at the scripts for the next season, and I thought, this is these are really lean. You know, and a lot of these characters are like dead now. And I thought I could probably just do like a, what if I just did a double issue? I was kind of thinking of like the, um, um, the office, the British office show or the extra show where they always oh, the do Christmas like, special. Yeah. They'll just like wrap up a whole series with just like a two hour special. And I thought, what if I just did a double issue and just, you know, ended the story there. So Sam Hill is supposed to have a little bit more time in the, in the story, but I only had the uh, time for him to just, have a couple page cameo in it. That I'd like to return to that material at some point, um, maybe with just under different titles, because I, I had a lot planned for that too that I never got to. So many starts. So many starts. Because <laughs> uh, with your recall stuff, you have like five different stories you you got going. Yeah, yeah. Or no, there were six altogether because I remember think I was working on all, like for years, just working on these separate books. And I thought, well, there's six of them. So if I, if I maybe self-publish these, I can do one every two months. And it's kind of like a perfect way to like round out a whole year of, st- of uh, material. Mm-hmm. But if I, you know, if I get as many comic shops on board with, with selling these, maybe that would, it was a way of like getting me to, to just work a little bit more consistently, like work like a more um, consistent week, like a fuller week of work. And I thought, well, what if, you know, if I get a bunch of stores and they're all on board for these books and I kind of get that rolling, maybe that will push me to work um, more on this stuff. Cause I would, it took me three years to do the Cavalier, Mr. Thompson. It's just, it's like a 140 page book. And I just, yeah, I can't understand like how that took so long, you know, cause now I, you know, like Dark Quarter is probably the same. It's probably, I think it's even longer than that. And I did that within, you know, eight month period or something. So I think I needed some, yeah, I needed some kind of 
something to push me like like and and, I, and re doing the self-published uh, recoil comics was a perfect like training ground for that to just be like well if i feel like this responsibility to these stores maybe then i'll work a little more seriously i was never good at you know i've, I've worked for these like publishers like fanographics alternative comics and people who are doing like personal work and um you don't really have deadlines when you work at these places. And I was never really good at being that kind of artist, just yeah. like getting self to work because, uh, you know, I would always just be like, oh, I'm not getting any, you know, you, do, you always get concerned with one aspect or another that no one's talking about your work or it's not, you know, it's not selling. And, and so it, it kind of, it's, it's hard to keep your publishers, not really like calling you up being like, where's that next Where's that next book? You know, it, it was hard for me to self-motivate um, when I was just working on this stuff for small publishers or for myself. So do you have um, more things in Image planned, or are you going to do She-Wolf for the next while? Um, I was going to stop She-Wolf. I was actually going to pull the plug on the first four issues because I didn't want to see the numbers drop, and they, said, and they were like, no, no, it's doing fine, and the trade's about to come out, so... So I was like, well, I definitely have more material for it. So I'm going to do four more issues of that. And then my next thing I'm going to do is, is a spy comic called Spy Seal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because uh, one day I was, um, <laughs> I was bored with my job of drawing comics. And so I was drawing, I was like doodling and just remembered this um, anthropomorphic character, the seal who I used to draw when I was like 12, 13 years old. And, uh, I just sat there and just drew this picture of him, like hiding from these guys with machine guns. And there was like a spy in a basket and, and, uh, I had fun just penciling this little drawing and I posted it online and like that whole weekend, like just people just kept asking me about it and, and, uh, it got a lot of hits online. Uh, a friend of mine, like cosplayed, on Halloween of it. It was just kind of crazy. There were artists asking me to do backup stories. I'm like, this doesn't exist. It's just a drawing. I did. <laughs> you know, it's just this thing I did when I was a kid, but yeah, the, the uh, response was really great. So I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I should like try doing this again. So yeah, I'm writing a, I'm writing the first series of that right now. and just and like figuring out all the characters. So That should be fun. Yeah, it was really strange. I'm like, I, I never had that response to anything I've ever done. Like in the 20, whatever, 22 years of like doing professional comics, I've never had such a response. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go back to doing funny animal cartoons again. <laughs> right back to the beginning. Something I forced myself out of after Joe Kubert school. Because I remember when I, when I started reading Love and Rockets and thinking like, yeah, I should do more serious stories. I was like, well, how would I even draw humans? Because I never really drew people. I always drew like um, animal characters. So I spent that whole summer after I dropped out just like drawing humans, like looking at Love and Rockets and and. and other comics and just trying to figure out like how would I even draw a human character? <laughs> <laughs> you could have been like a f you could have spent your life as a furry cartoonist. Yeah, I know. There's this whole other rich Tommaso out there, like doing the furry conventions. I'm sure there's yeah. a fairly sizable furry contingent to Dragon Con in Atlanta. It could have been Spy Seal and Bone. It could have been the, the big. Uh... <laughs> The big furry comics of the, of the 90s are cart cartoony. I, actually, I don't know what they are. 
I don't know what those characters are. Are they just supposed to be bones or? Uh, they're Smith just kind of dudes. They're just yeah. like, maybe it's like Jeff Smith's inner spirit. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, um, you. One thing I want to talk about is like, you've kind of gotten rid of most of your online presence. You don't have a website. You've got the Instagram, and I'm interested why to kind of that pullback. Yeah, I keep going back and forth with that stuff. Um, right now, it's just it's just a simple matter of that I'm just spending too much time on it because I'm working because I'm doing all the work on my image comics. Like I'm doing the coloring and the drawing, and the writing, and everything, and and I'm living off of doing this. I I pretty much have to work like seven days a week to, to make sure that I hit these deadlines. Mm -hmm. So it's just being on there. It's just taking too much time away and I get caught up in conversations and arguments and I'm like, I should be working. So it's really like, I need to unplug for, for, for a little while. And at least until I'm finished with the, this, um, she wolf series and then maybe I can go back to it. But yeah, it's mostly just it's just too much time because because I'm constantly at home. Like I'm hardly ever going out of the house, and like I said, it's even hard to socialize because it's, I go out one night during the week, and then the next day I it's like hard to get me to get back to work. So You're distracted and yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna like, go out again to a bar and <laughs> play video games and just hang out and have fun. So yeah, it's it's hard for me to do that. It's I'm, I'm such an all or nothing when it comes to that. I'm still trying to figure that out. So yeah, it's it's just a matter of that. Yeah, being on there, I, I'm always at home, so I'm constantly like checking my email. I'm going on Facebook and Twitter. So I think it's interesting how your approach changes to life too when you're able to singularly focus on your craft and your work uh, without the day job or without having to look for that supplemental income, even to the point that, I don't know, are you doing any outside illustration work or just strictly? No, just comics? this. And, like, I, I do the, I still do the coloring for the fanographics, like the Carl Barks uh, duck uh, collections. I still do those, but, they're so far ahead. I, I hardly ever like work on those Just here and there. I, I, I do some coloring still. Are you do, doing coloring on all of them or just ones that really need it? I uh, know just, no, I've, I've done all of the volumes so far. So, okay. But yeah. When I first, that was another thing where when I first working, when I started working on those, which I, I think it was around 2010, I got that job. That was my sole job. So I did it so much that we're, you know, pretty far. They're pretty far ahead with uh, in their publishing schedule on it, so I don't have to work on it too much. Okay. Yeah, I'm just like all my work is at home, and yeah, it's it's weird. I, I definitely have that fear of like every once in a while when I do go out somewhere, I'm like, oh, do I even know how to talk to people? <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> I'm just home a lot. I just, you know, it's my girlfriend Amy. I, she's really the only person I talk to most most days of the week. So start, you know, having trouble holding conversations. Well, it was nice to see you come out to the show in Columbus. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I've been wanting to go to that Billy Ireland Museum forever, and, and the this, this show sounded like so much fun. So I had some time to get away. And did you stay at Spurgeon's? I did, yeah, yeah. There were about 
seven or eight people staying there at his house. At least. Just like little, like, there were like sleeping bags all over the floors and in the hallways. <laughs> I heard there was like an attic that a couple of folks slept in that was like just filled to the brim with books. And uh, if there was a fire, they would have died. It was a, it's a weird little house. It has so many like nooks and crannies. Cause I remember thinking like, I know these, like there are a couple of other people staying here, but like, where are they? <laughs> Someone walked out of this wall at one point. I was like, Oh, there's like a, that doesn't look like a door, but that, obviously that's another doorway that goes to some rooms. And... I'd, I'd prefer to think of it just someone's like literally walking out of walls at Tom's. <laughs> it's just like a labyrinth in there. Um, so she wolf six should be out soon. Probably around the time I post this. What's the date? Yeah, uh, February 22nd. So yeah, not this Wednesday, but the following. Okay. So either or probably around when this is posted, maybe the day before or something. Um, but yeah, folks should be definitely checking it out. Uh, I really like what you're doing with she wolf, like especially stylistically, cause it's, you're just pushing yourself further and further in your kind of expressiveness. Oh, thanks. Yeah. The drawing. Yeah. I, when I, when I thought about the first issue, I, I'd, I'd found, um, these really great, uh, watercolor tools for Photoshop. And, and I thought I always wanted to do, cause I used to do like some watercolor work. Um, when I would do covers for, for some of my older books, um, let's hit the road is, is an example. Like that's, that's a, like a watercolor cover. And I, I always thought oh, that's a lot of pressure. It'd be great to do a whole book like that, but it'd be really like hard, you know, because I'm not like the best painter. So um, finding these tools that were so close to looking like analog watercolor paint um, really helped me think. Okay, now I can like try to I can try that out and can do like a watercolor type of uh, style. But it's not just the coloring; it's also the inking too, like. Yeah, because when I started thinking, of, when I thought about doing a horror comic, I, I was thinking about like those like creepy comics, those creepy and eerie comics, and how they would always have like a wash. And um, I really loved um, the stuff that like Steve Ditko did because he really thought about painting aspect. He didn't just he didn't fully ink his drawings and then just plop in the watercolor. He thought about that. And, and so he would only ink what needed to be there and then fill the rest in with color. And I thought that's really, that's a really interesting way to do it. You know, that Dicko okay. stuff is my favorite oh, Dicko cool. stuff. It's so weird because everything else he does is so strict. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You look at his other comics, um, it's, it's this hard line around everything, you know, but for some reason with those, he just like, went nuts and just splooches of ink everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bad description. Think, it's hard to think that way sometimes because I, uh, that was another thing I always wanted to do. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm so literal about stuff. Like when I pencil something, I basically the inks are going to look very close to that. And was never very good um, as a young cartoonist trying to think about like, well, you know, color can go in there and fill the rest of, of that area. You don't really need to put a, ink line around the whole thing um but i played around with that a lot of, uh, in between dark order and, and she wolf and just thought more about like the color as i was doing the art and mm -hmm. kind of helped me to to think of it more as like a, a painting 
I like that because some stuff you do is very constrained, very specific, especially like the Pete and Miriam stuff. Oh yeah, very like drawn, particularly. But it seems with She Wolf, you're just kind of a lot looser. I feel like you're probably having more fun drawing it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a lot. Again, to to try something new, to try something different um, from the from the last from the way I would approach the previous project is always exciting. Mm-hmm. Thing that will get me excited about working on something new. Um, well, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a long time coming, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time on your weekend to chat with me. Yeah, yeah, it's good to talk to you, and uh, hopefully we catch up again at a at a show down the road again. Yeah, I hope to to leave my house more. <laughs> <laughs> Reminder, folks, I've been talking to uh, Rich Tommaso, and his latest work is She-Wolf from Image, as well as Dark Corridor from Image. And you can find his books from uh, Fanagraphics and Alternative Comics. I think Fanagraphics, do they still still sell Mr. Thompson? I think, yeah, also, they still you. have Mr. Thompson on, the, on their website. Yeah, and, and um, like Miriam and Eight Ghosts and, and Perverso are, are still on the Alternative Comics website. So There we go. And yeah. uh, Clover Honey, the re-release. Clover, yeah, that came out last year or year before last. Uh, yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah, it was right, right before I started working uh, at, at, at Image. And I redrew like a bunch of pages from it and like relettered it because I was like horrified by the <laughs> lettering was so the snazzy new copy. There we go. I think what what, is, what do you guys call it on the cover? Like it's the artist edition, the artist cut. The artist cut, yeah. 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 Was that your choice or uh, their choice? It was mine, just like another like geeky kind of Criterion <laughs> <laughs> movie kind of idea. Um, I'd, I'd always, I'd switched styles in, in between, like while I was working on that book, and it always bugged me that I didn't go back and like kind of redraw the first 20 pages to kind of match the cleaner work of the, you know, the rest of the book. So I was like, oh, I should just... I should do that now. Just go back and redraw those pages. There we go. I really enjoyed reading it, and uh, it kind of it really oh. it actually fits really well with Dark Corridor. Um, kind of they're complementary for when they came out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love doing crime stuff, so hopefully I'll get back to that one day. We'll see more. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Yeah, thank you. I like to think that I'm